Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Luke. If I haven't met you before, and uh, it's a treat to be able to sit down like this. And uh, as we just get close to finishing off this series on the Psalms that we've called Songs for Every Season, we've been working right from the beginning. Uh, not looking at every Psalm, obviously, that would have taken us 150 weeks. Uh, but we're almost at the end. Next week, we'll be wrapping up by hearing DJ Cons uh, speak as a bit of a summary over this whole book. So that's a sure, sure one not to miss. It'll be a great week next week. But today we're looking at Psalm 148, uh, which is part of this like five song conclusion to the book of Psalms, which can be called the Hallelujah Psalms. So the Psalms 146 through to 150 all begin and end with this call to praise the Lord, which we're going to hear about in a video very soon. Now, the beauty of this series and the Psalms as a whole, as you would have been hearing throughout this journey, is that they have taught us how we can come to God in every season of life. The Psalms have served, I guess, as a prayer guide, you know, showing an expression of the human heart from moments of like victory and joy to moments of failure and deep despair. Today, however, the focus shifts off ourselves completely as we uh, think about and recognize that there is this song from all creation happening where we're giving praise and glory to God, the one who made it all. And it's a song that is declaring and praising the greatness and the glory of him. It's a song that God most certainly deserves to hear. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to jump straight into this video we're going to watch today from the Bible Project. And it just turns out that they've actually got a video on Psalm 148, the one we're looking at today. So we're going to watch that, uh, which is great because it unpacks how this psalm hangs together. And I'm going to really leave it to these guys to do the theological unpacking of Psalm 148 because they go through it sort of verse by verse, by verse but they do it in a really succinct way, uh, far better than I ever could. But also because I actually want to spend some time today exploring a potential issue that some people have when it comes to this concept of praising God. And this is something that even caused a stumbling block for C.S. Lewis, you know, one of the great Christian thinkers and writers and apologists. Uh, he had a stumbling block here. And uh, before I explain what this hang-up was for him, we're going to learn about this Psalm 148 from the Bible Project. So we're going to sit back together. I'm going to enjoy a bit of the video today and then just have a quick chat after that. Uh, but before I hand over to the video, just a quick explanation that there's this key verse at the end of the psalm. Uh, and if you're reading along in your own Bible, which I really encourage you to do, uh, you'll hear that it mentions how God has raised up a horn for his people. Now, you won't see that wording in all translations, depending on which one you've got. It might say something like, you know, God has uh, brought about strength or victory for his people. But uh, there's this really central part of this video from the Bible Project. So as it's talking about that, don't be alarmed if you don't see it in your translation of the Bible, um, just to give you a bit of a, a clarity around that. So with that being said, let's dive into Psalm 148. Praise the name of Yahweh, for he has lifted up the horn of his people. Okay, so what's the deal with this horn, and why is God lifting it up? Great questions. These words come from the climactic conclusion of Psalm 148 in the Bible. Let's check it out. First, let's get our bearings. The Psalm scroll is a large collection of poems in the Hebrew Bible. There are 150 poems, or what we call Psalms, which are arranged to tell a story. The Psalms tell a story? 
Yeah, it begins with the promise of a coming king who will bring victory for Israel. And it continues to tell the story of how God rescues David from his affliction and raises him up as king. But then Israel falls to enemy nations and the people are left without a king and without a home. So they need a king greater than David. Right. And so the Psalms then explore how Israel renews their trust in Yahweh as their king and that he will bring about his kingdom through a future messianic king from the line of David. Great. The story of the Psalms. Now, the last five poems form the conclusion to the entire story, and they're all praise songs. And this is where we find Psalm 148, right in the middle of these final five poems. Psalm 148, like all these five poems, begins and ends in the same way. Praise Yah. Praise Yah. That must be short for Yahweh, the name that God revealed to Moses. Right. And this line is usually translated, praise the Lord. But in Hebrew, it's hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sounds familiar, right? Now today, when people sing the word hallelujah, they usually use it as a way to praise God. Hallelujah. But in Hebrew, hallelujah is not something you say to God. It's something you say to other people when you invite them to praise God. So hallelujah means, hey, you over there, you should praise the Lord. Exactly. Psalm 148 is a call for all the creatures in two realms to praise Yahweh, the realm of the sky and the realm of the land and everything that fills them. The sky and the land. That sounds like the opening line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the sky and the land. Exactly. This psalm is summoning the entire cosmos and everything in it to praise their creator. It begins with a call to the sky. Praise Yahweh from the skies. Praise him in the heights. And who is in the sky? Praise him all his messengers. That's the word often translated angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him the sun and the moon. Praise him stars of light. Praise him skies of skies and the waters that are above the skies. Notice how the outer lines describe the spaces of the sky realm. The skies above. And they surround the inhabitants of the sky in the middle. Ah yes, the messengers and hosts, sun and moon and stars. And then we're told why the skies should praise Yahweh. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever, a decree he gave and it will not pass. This is about the pathways of the stars, which don't change. Every night they dance the same dance, all by God's command. Now, after this, the second realm is called to praise Yahweh, everything below the skies. Praise Yahweh from the land. And we get a list of things on the land that, while terrifying, are ultimately under God's authority. Sea monsters and deep, fire and hail, snow and smoke, stormy wind doing his word. So wait, these dangerous chaos creatures are following God's command? Well, remember that in Genesis 1, the pre-creation state is depicted as a dark, stormy ocean. And as God creates light, he doesn't get rid of the darkness, rather he contains it and separates it from the light. In the same way, God doesn't eliminate the stormy ocean or the monsters in it, but he does confine them to the realm of the sea. In the Bible, chaos and disorder are limited and kept at bay by God's powerful word. And because God is so much greater, even they are summoned to praise him. Got it. Now the next things called to praise Yahweh are mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. But how does a tree praise God? Yeah, God designed trees to stand tall and grow, to reproduce and bear fruit. When creation, even a tree, fulfills its purpose, it's an act of praise and worship. Praise Yahweh, wild animals, and all cattle, creeping things and winged birds. We should recognize this list from Genesis chapter 1. And finally, kings of the land and all peoples, princes and all the judges of the land, young men and also young women, 
elders with children. In other words, every kind of human, from the powerful to the weak, old and young, from every nation, everyone on the land is called to praise. And just like there was a reason given for the sky praise, now we get a reason for why the land should praise Yahweh. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for exalted is his name alone, his majesty above the land and the skies. He has lifted up the horn of his people, the praise of all his loyal ones, of Israel, a people near to him. So we finally got here, the horn lifted up by God. What is this all about? This is an image of a bull lifting up its horns after winning a battle. The raised horn is a common biblical symbol of victory, especially of being rescued from oppression. Now, in this psalm, notice whose horn is being exalted. The people of Israel. But what victory is God bringing about for them? This is where we need to connect Psalm 148 to the larger biblical story. It begins in Genesis with God giving royal power to all humanity, but humans mess that all up. So God chooses one family, the Israelites, and promises that he'll rescue all humanity through them. But the rest of the Torah and the prophets show Israel surrounded by enemies on the outside and on the inside. They're corrupted by injustice and violence themselves. And so to bring victory to the whole world, God promises to first bring victory for them. To lift up their horn. Right. And remember, the Psalms tell the story of God's promise to raise up a king who will bring victory to Israel and rescue the world. And that's a great reason for praise. It is. Since all creation is going to be rescued by this king, it only makes sense that the land and the skies and everything in them are summoned to praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that video. It did such a good job of unpacking that. Um, so here we have a psalm, actually this collection of psalms, that is calling all of creation to praise and glorify God. Now, this call to praise Yahweh, it's part of a constant message throughout the entire biblical story, like worship God alone and no other. Things like praise Him and again, praise Him. All of the earth sing His praise. Um, things like love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even Jesus, he said things like this, if you don't love me more than anything else, even your own family, then you are not worthy of me. Now to some, God demanding our praise is incredibly egocentric. To come back to C.S. Lewis and the stumbling block that I mentioned earlier, it was largely based around this very issue. He says in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, so he wrote a book uh, based around the Psalms, he said that one of the great obstacles in coming to believe in the God of the Bible was that when he read the Psalms, the constant demand for God to praise him seemed to him, to C.S. Lewis, um, to picture God as, get this, craving for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. Uh, pretty good way to describe God. In other words, he stumbled over the self-exalting commands of God that we praise him and the self-exalting commands of Jesus that we love him you know, more than we love our parents or our children or our own lives. To Lewis, this was sheer egomania. Now, from a human perspective, uh, we don't really have any issue with receiving love and praise things like recognition, for they seem to meet some of our deepest needs of having, I guess, a sense of maybe acceptance or significance or worth or value. It does not matter who you are, young or old, rich or poor, male or female, whatever part of the planet you live on, 
we have an internal human desire to be valued and to be recognized in some way. Yeah, we often seek this from those around us. And it's something that, you know, causes us to want acknowledgement for the things that we do. And when we do something good, receiving any form of praise uh, is very welcome uh, or encouragement or recognition. It makes us feel great uh, to the point that we're like, wow, I want more of that. That felt really, really good. Uh, I read a quote this week from Mark Twain. He was uh, the late American writer who wrote The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, amongst other books. And he said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Uh, isn't that true? Doesn't it do something to you on the inside when you get compliments like that? Well, it's incredibly um, telling how early this starts for each person. You know, if you consider a child or even consider yourself when you're a child, one of the earliest things you learn is to thrive off positive affirmation and praise. I hear it all the time, uh, particularly from my youngest dad. Look at me. Now he goes to my mum or to his mum. Mum, did you see that? Or did you see it that time? Oh, watch this one. And it's just constant because they're seeking that affirmation. Uh, even for our middle boy who has significant additional needs, uh, I, I thought early on that he was actually immune to this, that he didn't really even um, want to receive any praise from those around him. He seemed like he was just locked in his own world and uh, had no real desire to get affirmation from others. But how wrong I was, uh, because even for him, he so loves it. You see his whole um, face light up and him just come alive when he gets a clap or we cheer for him when he's done something good and we um, give him credits and rewards for a good behavior. Uh, it's something that we love to receive. And look, if we're honest, we love a good praising here and there, don't we? We love to be recognized when we do good work. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's actually incredibly important that we you know, use positive affirmation with the people around us, particularly our kids, for far more than any negative comments or words. And it's beneficial all around to encourage and build others up. I think the problem lies is when we find someone uh, who so desperately seeks praise and affirmation uh, to an unhealthy level. I want you to consider for a moment the uh, the sports star Ronaldo. If you don't know who that is, he's uh, like a really, really good football player, soccer player. Now, he is certainly deserving of much credit and adoration for his incredible skills and talent on the soccer field. However, when you look at Ronaldo after he scored a goal, he's got a post-goal celebration. He jumps in the air and stands there with his back arch, his arms down. You know, it's in a way, he's screaming out, adore my greatness, O people of the world. That's what I hear anyway when I see him do that. Uh, we've got a, a movie we watch all the time in our house because our kids love it, the Madagascar movies. Uh, and in that, there's a character called King Julian. He oh, is fantastic. I think the best cartoon character on the planet. Anyway, he's got a line in that where um, he meets these um, certain characters and he says there, Please feel free to bask in my glory. And when we sort of sense any of this in people, there's no doubt it's a huge turnoff for us. It sends the wrong message. But is this what God is doing when he's asking people to praise him? Is he like certain people who desperately demand the praise and attention of others in order to gain recognition and praise to feel a sense of value and worth. I think if this were the case, I could see why people have struggles following a God like that. It could be seen as God saying, you know, you must 
worship me and praise me because unless you do, I won't feel valued and admired by my creation. Well, I'm glad to say that I honestly, I do not think that that is what God is getting at at all. I don't think that's the case at all with God. I think the call throughout the Psalms is a call to firstly give credit where credit is due. God deserves our praise. You know, I don't think there are many things that frustrate people more than when someone takes credit for somebody else's work. It just causes something in us to go, no, that's so not right. But let's just think about it for the moment. For a moment, God, he is the creator and the sustainer of our lives. He's the one who has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. He's the one who brought Israel out of Egypt. He's one who sent his son as a sacrifice to save us. He's always with us. Uh, He will never leave us nor forsake us. He cares for us. He guides us. He leads us. He speaks to us. This list could go on and on and on. Uh, Isn't it fair and right and fitting that God is recognized and praised for the amazing things that he has done. We wouldn't want to withhold that from anybody else. Why should we withhold it from God? And as his people, we should never stop expressing our gratitude and our appreciation for who God is and all that he continues to do. And if you find that you are in a place where you don't really have any reason to thank or to praise God, Perhaps it's time just to simply stop and consider afresh all that God has done and consider again who it is, uh, who he is, and it might cause some uh, reasons of praise to come from us. Now, I want us also to recognize that we all find it natural and easy to praise and admire different things in our lives. Uh, my son, I saw this happen earlier this week. He came out and he's showing me this video. He goes, Dad, check this out. Uh, another football star, a soccer star, Lionel Messi. And uh, he'd been watching these videos of Messi's greatest moments. And uh, he was so blown away. He's like, this is insane how good he is. And he, he wanted to, you know, he's telling me all about it, but then he wanted to show me. And then, you know, so we ended up watching this video together and we sort of both got caught up in enjoying this football greatness on display. And it made me realize that there is this immense joy and satisfaction that is found in admiring and appreciating either something important to you or maybe something that inspires you uh, or something that you find just mind-blowing. We can all easily talk about the things that we are most passionate about or the things that inspire us. I wonder what that is for you. Uh, I wonder if for those who know you well, they would be able to say what it is that you are most passionate about about. Well, it is so satisfying to witness, admire, and celebrate greatness, whether that's at a a sporting event. You know, you think back to like the stories you hear of the great Sir Donald Bradman as he steers his team to victory, uh, or being in awe of an incredible music performance. Recognizing and praising greatness is pure joy and delight. This is actually where C.S. Lewis got to on his journey, and he had some really incredible um, thoughts to share around this. I'm just going to read you some of uh, the excerpts from from his book and different writings about him. And he, He said, I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us 
to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? He says the psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because, get this, the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. The praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of uh, compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are, that a light is complete, is sorry, incomplete until it is expressed. Uh, John Piper, he goes on and carries on um, uh, writing about C.S. Lewis and where he got to with this and expands on these thoughts a little. And he says, we praise what we enjoy because the delight is incomplete until it is expressed in praise. If we were not allowed to speak of what we value and celebrate what we love and praise what we admire, our joy would not be full. So you can see it's a wonderful invitation for us to consider uh, and to, to praise greatness. Then Piper continues, God wants our praise not because he won't be truly God until he gets it, but because we won't be fully glad until we give it. What a wonderful invitation. Um, Papa finally says uh, this. I love this comment. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know, I just want us to consider for a moment is how much we just simply take the time to enjoy God, to consider his greatness, to pause for long enough to be blown away by the goodness and the greatness and the majesty of our maker. The reality for most of us on this planet is that we spend so much of our time and our energy trying to make this life all about us, our value, our worth, seeking praise and recognition for ourselves and the things that we do making me the very center of everything to the point that the world should stop and acknowledge my story. But this life is not just about your story. This life is not about my story. It's about his story. And it's all for his glory. You know, we try and build our kingdom, but what God has done is invited us to partner him in the building of his kingdom. Now, I've got a very simple challenge for us. And the challenge is just to stop for long enough to consider the greatness of God. Because quite possibly, we're not doing that. Quite possibly, we don't have a natural song of praise that's coming from our lips. And the challenge is just to stop for long enough to consider the greatness of God. Because far too often we just race through life without even recognizing, acknowledging, or praising the very one it is all about. You know, I saw this great clip once. Uh, it was a TV show and it was using um, guitar greatness on planet Earth by the name of Tommy Emmanuel. If you don't know, he's an Australian guitarist. He's just a dead set, a legend in the music world. And they uh, dressed him up in disguise and sent him out just to busk in the streets. And here he is pretty well 
one of the greatest guitarists on the planet. And he's playing his heart out in disguise. There's people just walking by. And, you know, slowly one by one, people started to stop as they realised that uh, they didn't know who it was, but they realised what they were listening to. Uh, They were in the presence of guitar greatness. But it blew me away to think of how many people walked by and didn't even know the greatness that was all around them. You know, I wonder how much we live like that. We fly by each day not even taking the time to recognize the greatness that is all around us. Here's what I want us to do this week as we just stop and think about what it means to praise God. You know, as we take these encouragements from these sort of hallelujah psalms, you know, I love the way that video put it. There's this um, call to others, hey, you over there, praise the Lord. He's deserving of it. Um, all the skies and the heavens and all the earth and every living creature should be joining together to praise him. But here are some simple things that can cause us to stop and just consider his greatness and his glory. The first one is to consider God's creation. Now, I'm a bit of a creation nutter. Uh, Not that I know the ins and outs of it all, but I am certainly a creation appreciator. I love documentaries about nature. Uh, My family doesn't get it. I think I'm weird, but I could watch that all day. Uh, But yeah, just to sit outside and just take it in. I even tried this the other day and I didn't even look, tried to um, use my other senses and just close my eyes. I could hear the birds and I could feel the breeze. Uh, and then feel the warmth of the sun on me. And just that alone, without even seeing, I was able to reflect on, on the goodness and the greatness of God in his creation. But then as we open our eyes and we see, it just is mind-blowing. And it should cause us to recognize the greatness of our God and therefore praise pours forth from our lips. So we consider God's creation, but also to consider his character. You know, as soon as we see someone do a good deed or we see someone who demonstrates humility or sacrifice, we want to give them praise. We see something, you know, really lovely in our kids where they're kind to their brother or sister. and We're like, oh, I just want to praise you. What a legend. Let's consider the character of our God who is slow to anger, yet full of grace and love and kindness and forgiveness towards us. Uh, His character is perfect. And as we stop for long enough to consider his character. Again, we are blown away by his greatness and we can't help but thank and praise him. So we consider God's creation, we consider his character, but also even as we consider his commands and we realize the the, the beauty and the wisdom and the life that comes from the words of God and the fact that he keeps speaking to us. You know, this again is another reason for us to thank him and to praise him. And then finally, I want us to consider God's care. And in God's care, we see his amazing love for us demonstrated through his son, Jesus. You know, the absolute culmination and expression of his love for his people, to those he has made, um, sending his son to die in our place. It's not that we love God, it's that he first loved us. Jesus giving his life for us. To know the extent of God's care, again, just causes us to go, God, you are worthy to receive all praise and honor and glory 
uh, my whole life. You know, I've often heard this true expression of worship is just me in the hands of God saying, you know what, God, here I am. I am yours because you are worthy. You are deserving of all I am as I consider your creation, as I consider your character and I reflect on your commands that bring, you know, these words of life and I, and I ponder the great care you have for us. Oh God, you are worthy to receive praise. Now here's the great thing about stopping to admire the greatness of God. Not only will we hardly be able to contain the enjoyment of his revealed glory, we will also want others to share in this also. It's not something we have to do. It's something we want to do. Um, Until we discover or remember how great God really is, what do we have to share about with others? We're just trying to take somebody else's information and it's forced, it's mundane, it's lifeless, and it's hardly appealing at all. But if we take the time to stop and consider the greatness of our God, and we start to pour out praise and we want others to say, hey, do you know about this? Have you stopped and looked at creation? Have you considered the character of God? Do you know his commands, like how good and and pleasing they are, how much wisdom they bring to our life? Do you know God's care for us, how much he loves us? It becomes so much more natural then to share God with others, to invite others in to this praise, just like the psalmists have done for us in saying, hallelujah, hey, you over there, praise the Lord. We then get to share that. Hey, you over there, come and learn about your maker. Come and learn about our wonderful God. I want you to join with me as we enjoy this pure delight of glorifying God, of praising him, of being blown away by his greatness. Let's take this invitation of the psalmist to join with all creation in praising the Lord who as the Bible says, is most worthy of all praise. God bless you. Have a wonderful week of stopping for long enough to consider the greatness of God. Bless you.